Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Chapter 5 Paul's Camp in Maine Part 3 The ox was a very wise creature, and every now and then he liked to play a little joke on Paul. Along about dawn, Paul Bunyan awoke and looked about for his pet. Not a glimpse of him could he get in any direction, though he whistled so loudly for him that the nearby trees were shattered into bits. At last, after he and Ollie had eaten their breakfast and Babe still did not appear, Paul knew that the joke was on him. He thinks that he has put up a little trick on me, he said to Ollie with a grin. You go ahead and make the packs again while I play hide-and-seek for a while. And as the big Swede started gathering everything together again, he set off trailing the missing animal. Babe's tracks were so large that it took three men standing close together to see across one of them, and they were so far apart that no one could follow them but Paul, who was an expert trailer, no one else ever being able to equal him in this ability. So remarkable was he in this respect that he could follow any tracks that were ever made, no matter how old or how faint they were. It is told of him that he once came across the carcass of a bull moose that had died of old age, and having a couple of hours to spare, and also being of an inquiring turn of mind, he followed the tracks of the moose back to the place where it had been born. Being such an expert, therefore, it did not take him very long to locate Babe. The great blue ox, when he at last came across him, was lying down contentedly chewing his cud and waiting for his master to come and find him. (laughs) You worthless critter, Paul said to him and thwacked him good-naturedly with his hand. Look at the trouble you have put me to. And just look at the damage you have done here. And he pointed to the great hollow place in the ground which Babe had wallowed out while lying there. The ox's only reply was to smother Paul for a moment with a loving, juicy lick of his great tongue. And then together they set off to where Ollie was waiting for them. Anyone, by looking at a map of the state of Maine, can easily locate Moosehead Lake which is, as history shows, the place where the great blue ox lay down. By the time that Paul, Ollie, and Babe arrived at the logging camp, the first snow had begun to fall, and Paul began to work in earnest. He organized his crew so that each gang of men had a certain task to do, and the rules he developed here and used in his later logging operations have been followed more or less in all lumber camps ever since. For instance, in the Great Lakes states, where the lumber industry probably reached its highest development, the work of the average logging crew was done much in this way. A gang of choppers would go first through the woods, clearing the way. After them would come the sawyers, 
one man carrying an axe for barking the direction of each tree's fall and a wedge to use if necessary in guiding it, while two others would fell the tree with a cross-cut saw. Paul was the inventor of the two-man saw used in logging, and Ollie made up a number of them from his plans for use in the camps. The saw having done its work, as the tree began to topple, the sawyers would get back out of the way, giving a loud yell, Timber! As a warning to anyone else nearby, and the great trunk would come swishing and crashing to the ground. Then would come the scaler, who would measure the falling trees into the proper log lengths, and the sawyers would cut them at his marks. Next, the skidding crew, or swampers, would clear the way for the teamsters, who would drag or haul the logs to the staging by the stream. Winter was always best for logging, for then the logs could be easily skidded over the icy roads, which had been made slippery by sprinkling water on them until they were paved with hard and solid ice. At the stream, the deckers would pile the logs on skidways, from which in the spring, when the thaw filled the stream with swift water, they would be dumped to float down river on the big drive. When the time of the drive came, the entire crew would join in following it, riding the logs with cocked boots and carrying pike pole or peavy, fighting jams and snaking stranded logs off the banks all along the way. When the logs finally reached the booms of the sawmill toward which they were headed, the logger's work was over, and he usually celebrated the ending of the drive in a grand and glorious manner, fighting out old grudges accumulated during the winter and otherwise enjoying himself. That is something of the way a logging crew usually works. Of course, Paul had the help of the remarkable babe and of such mighty woodsmen as the seven axemen. And he did things in his own peculiar way, which no one else could hope to imitate. In the main, however, the camps of later years were organized much after the fashion that he established. Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more waiting for us all at the end of the road.